You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Another statement win. With that, welcome into a joyous Friday evening post-game episode of Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent for Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. I know I said when we spoke Friday morning that our next show would not come until Saturday, Well, I lied, because when you win your seventh consecutive game, that's now a season best for the Rockets, and you do it in style, 107-91, and the final was not even really indicative of how lopsided the game was. The Rockets led by 20-plus going to the fourth. There was extensive garbage time. The likes of Terrence Jones, Gary Clark getting into the game, although we shouldn't really insult Gary Clark with that. Him not playing is more a reflection of the depth of the Rockets squad at the moment, Point is, the last five minutes, the Rockets against a Philadelphia 76ers team that, while not having Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, there's a lot of talent there. There's a reason why, even with the loss, they're still 41-25 and 25 on the year, and yet the Rockets still got the win with ease. They got out to a fast start with a 37-21 first quarter, really were in cruise control the rest of the way. A bit of a blip, a terrifying scene late in the second quarter when James Harden went down, briefly went out for a couple of minutes. He stayed down for what seemed like an eternity. It was really only about 60 seconds because he landed on his right wrist, which he's had taped up for about the last week or so. Ultimately, though, he did come back in the game, finished with a game-high 31 points, also 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 50% shooting in his 32 minutes, and the Rockets ended up, again, with the 107-91 win. It's their season-best seventh consecutive victory, and they improved to 40 and 25 on the year through 65 games. That's a new high water mark of 15 above 500, which of course they're setting every game now of this current seven game streak. So, in our normal three points recap style, we're going to get to some of the individuals. We mentioned James Harden, 31, 10, and 7, a team best plus 15 in the plus minus. That's what the MVP does. We'll also talk about Eric Gordon, who had 17 points, but more importantly was 5 of 9 from 3. Since the All-Star break, he has been dynamic. Clint Capella against a 76ers front court without Embiid did what you would expect him to do. 18 points, 9 rebounds, 8 of 12 shooting. He feasted against a somewhat undersized, or at least not as physical, 76ers team without Embiid, who missed, I believe, his 8th consecutive game with knee tendinitis. And the Rockets against one of the league's best teams coasted to the win. And that's what I'm going to lead with. We'll get to the individuals in segments two and segment three, because what's most impactful about this is the Rockets finishing up the six-game Eastern Conference stretch, 6-0, and but more importantly, finishing off a three-game trip this week against Eastern Conference heavyweights, Boston, Toronto, and Philadelphia, two of them on the road, and the Rockets finish at 3-0. and Just remarkably impressive, and we'll see if it continues starting Sunday at home against Dallas, and then, or Sunday on the road against Dallas, and then Monday at home against Charlotte. Two not bad teams, but more mediocre. We know what the Rockets' bugaboo has been all season long. They've had these 
really high highs against the upper echelon competition. And then there have been some losses that have been deflating that they have no business, or at least the game being a bit too close for our liking. So we'll see if this level of effort, the Rockets defensively, boy, they gave up 43 in the first half on Sunday in Boston. That was a game which the Celtics had going offensively in the second half, but the Rockets, they were up by as much as 28. So it's hard to say that it was a poor defensive performance. Tuesday, they held the Raptors to 95, including just 37 in the first half. And then this one, holding the Sixers to 44 in the first half and 91 for the game. Just a really inspired defensive performance by the Rockets. Again, up and down the roster, you just see them playing with a lot more intensity. It also helps that there's more depth. Iman Shumpert came back tonight, played 18 minutes, made just one shot. But because of his ability to play, it also by virtue of having the big lead, we had the five minutes of garbage time to where Terrence Jones, Gary Clark got into the game. No one in the starting lineup played more than 32 minutes. That was Harden. You actually had three of them below 30. Capella at 29, Gordon at 29, Paul at 28. And so when you're not overextending guys, of course, it's easier to play with more commitment, more focus on the defensive end. And really up and down the roster, you've just seen the Rockets more committed. You've had less breakdowns. The communication is better. Just defensively, they seem more in sync now than at any point this season. And a lot of it has to do with the nature of the opponents. I know the Sixers were without Joel Embiid, but again, 41-25, and 25, even with the loss, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, there's a ton of talent out there. And I think the Rockets are very well aware that they were clowned in January, the last, two, the last time that these two teams met. So the Rockets were able to enact their revenge, and even if the Sixers aren't quite at full strength without Embiid, the Rockets also did not have Kenneth Fareed. We talked more on Friday morning's show about the medical outlook for Fareed, Strumpert, and also how the potential return of Daniel House Jr. at the latest, in my opinion, by March 24th could play into that. More on that, check out our Lockdown Rockets archives. But as far as Friday goes, even though the Sixers without Embiid, number one, they're still a really talented team. And secondly, the Rockets, they took the game seriously. The opponent clearly is one of the contenders of the NBA, very well respected, and they wanted to enact their revenge. And at this point, it's pretty hard to overlook the success the Rockets have had against the league's upper echelon teams. Now, they still are in a dogfight for playoff positioning. They're now tied with Oklahoma City for the three spot. But if it's a two-way tie, which is the moment rather than a three-way, Oklahoma City would have that because they're up at the moment two games to one in the season standings. The good news, while the last game is in Oklahoma City, that's hard. If the Rockets win that game, then they would split the season series. But ultimately, for the same reason that they would win the uh, season-long tie with a three-team scenario because they're a division winner, if Houston's able to get the last game versus the Thunder and end up in a two-team tie, then they'd win that scenario as well because they're expected to be a division winner, unlike the Thunder. So uh, the Rockets, the standings, every game counts. And so you want to see that this level of effort against the upper echelon teams will continue when you go to a week next week that other than playing the Warriors, you're probably going to have some lethargic gems, a Dallas team that seems to be in somewhat tank mode in Dallas. You have home games Monday against Charlotte, Friday against Phoenix, Two teams that, well, Charlotte's just kind of blah. Phoenix is bad. So will this level of effort carry over? That's the one task that a Rockets team, even with seven game, 17 games left in the regular season, you still need to see that happen because every game counts in this Western Conference. We are not to the 82-game mark. That said, we are close enough now to where if the Rockets finish this season off in style, and they easily could, having won seven in a row now, their success when they are really dialed in, assuming health, is impossible to overlook.
in the Eastern Conference, they're 2-0 against Toronto, including this week's win on the road. They're 2-0 against Boston, including this week's win on the road. They beat Philadelphia with ease. The one loss the Rockets suffered in January was without Clint Capella and Chris Paul. In the West, we know they're 3-0 against Golden State. Hopefully they can go to 4-0 next week. They have an opportunity to get a really big swag win there. They're 2-1 against the Nuggets, and the one loss was without Clint Capella, who, against Nikola Jokic, is clearly the biggest matchup advantage for the Rockets in that setting against the Nuggets and the way they like to play. So at this point, you can't just dismiss it as a fluky game here or there. No, when you see the Rockets time after time going up against the NBA's best and provide you these types of results, and in a week that the Rockets, they still don't have Kenneth Fareed, and Clint Capella is still not quite 100%, to beat teams like the 76ers on Friday and the Raptors Tuesday by double digits, to be up by 20-plus in all of these games, it tells you that when the Rockets are committed, when they are focused, they are still that team. We have not seen it as consistently as a year ago when they were 65-17, and 17, but their upside, the win I, or the phrase I've said all season long in these wins, is upside wins matter. And this week has been filled with that. So I'm not going to say 100% the Rockets are back because to get to that point, I think we need to see the Rockets treat games like Dallas on Sunday, Charlotte on Monday with the same level of intensity they did a year ago when they won 65. And with the Rockets, even on a seven-game winning streak and playing this well, they're still at the moment, if the season ended today, they'd be in the four spot in the Western Conference. Now the good news, they can move up depending on the results of the Nuggets-Warriors game, which is in progress as I am taping this podcast, if the Warriors win, the Rockets would fall to, or the Nuggets would fall to within three games of the Rockets in the loss column, and Houston holding the tiebreaker at the moment with one more game left in Houston, which could close it to two games and secure the tiebreaker. So lots within the Rockets' control there. And the flip side, if the Nuggets win, then the Warriors would fall within four games of the Rockets as far as the one seed, and Houston has already secured the tiebreaker from Golden State, and they can take one more game from them next Wednesday on the homestand at Toyota Center. So there's a lot to play for for the Rockets. They can still move up the standings, not just competing with Oklahoma City, but even with Golden State at one, Denver at two, those things are still out there. Flip side is that Portland at five is just a game behind you. Utah is not too far off in your rearview mirror at the number six spot. So the Rockets over these last 17 games, they're going to have to show that this level of intensity can continue against the lesser teams. That will be the test on Sunday in Dallas and on Monday at home against the Charlotte Hornets. But for tonight, and especially in a stretch where they've won seven in a row, and you're seeing so many statement wins one after the other, and all of your big three, Clint Capella, Chris Paul, James Harden, having statement games of late. I know Chris has struggled a bit more from the field this week, one of 10 and two of eight. But I'm not too worried about Chris Paul with the heavy lifting he's done since the All-Star break. I think it's pretty clear that these are probably just a couple of rare blips for him. And then you see Eric Gordon, the chief variable, get going with 17 points, 5 of 9 from 3. Yeah, the Rockets, I don't know that they are as consistent as they were a year ago. And considering the standings, how packed the West is, the need for home court advantage, those types of things, I'm not going to say that that the Rockets are out of the woods because there's still a lot to play for in the regular season. But when it comes to projecting playoff success, especially if they're able to get home court in the first round and hopefully beyond that as well, when you see the Rockets consistently against the upper echelon teams ratchet up their effort to this extreme, it's hard not to be optimistic.
So above all else, we'll get into the individuals in segments two and three coming up. But for now, celebrate the seven consecutive wins, which is a season best streak. But more importantly, relish what you're seeing from the Rockets seemingly every time they go up against one of the NBA's big boys. The way they respond when the lights are brightest and beyond just wanting revenge on the 76ers, them having a nice reputation, it was a national TV game, all those types of things. Yeah, it's hard not to see that assuming health translate really well come April, May, and hopefully June. Jumping back into Friday night's recap of the 107-91 win the Rockets posted over the Philadelphia 76ers, we spent much of the first segment discussing the importance of statement wins, which the Rockets have posted all season long. They're 5-1 and one combined against the Warriors and Nuggets in the West, out East. They're 4-0 against the Raptors and Celtics, beat both on the road this week. They've now taken a game from the Sixers, who embarrassed them in January, albeit without Chris Paul and Clint Capella. Well, the Rockets rectified that situation tonight, winning by 16, and that was even with Philadelphia outscoring them by 6 in a fourth quarter that consisted of extensive garbage time. Houston's defense is better than it's been all season long. We're seeing consistent efforts from one game to the next. They've won seven in a row, and the best story is that they continue to compete so well with the upper echelon teams. As far as the individuals tonight, boy, you can go with so many storylines. Austin Rivers and Gerald Green off the bench. They were a combined 9 of 19, nearly uh, 50% shooting, 22 points between them, even though they didn't make their threes. That speaks to Chris Paul. The one, I would say, downer from a stat line, 4 points, 8 assists, 2 of 8 shooting, but he's still done such a good job lately of pushing the pace, especially with that second unit. Even on a night that Rivers and Green off the bench weren't shooting that well, they still contributed. But really, this game for the Rockets, those are honorable mentions. It's outside of Chris Paul the other star names that are out there for the Rockets, James Harden, Clint Capella, and to a lesser extent, Eric Gordon as your variable that really were just foreboding of success in this particular matchup. Harden, 31, 10, and 7. What's perhaps most impressive about the James stat line, he was just 3 of 11 from 3, and he was 8 of 11 inside the arc. He had Jimmy Butler on skates at times in this game, one of the league's best defenders, there was a momentary scare where he was down for about 60 seconds, taking a hard fall on his right wrist, which he's had wrapped over the past week. But after staying down for a minute, he went behind the Rockets bench briefly. He came back out, had a little bit more tape on it, and he looked just fine because his handle tonight was so slick. And yeah, it takes being able to dribble with your right hand even after the injury. We'll see what happens with the upcoming back-to-back on Sunday and Monday in Dallas. But for now, based on what we saw from James Harden after going out with the injury, I'm not that worried. And 31, 10, and 7, also had a couple of steals. And the fact that even when the threes weren't going, just 3 of 11, the free throw line, he just got there seven times, made six of those, and yet he still broke 30. That shows you that his game is a lot more diverse than some of the narratives would give him credit for. Because beyond just the threes and beyond the free throws, he's become a really dynamic player off the dribble, the floater game, the mid-range. Of course, he can get to the cup, especially against a Sixers team without Embiid that doesn't have the rim protection they normally do. James tonight, even without the things, the threes, the free throws that his critics would have you believe are 90% of his package, he still found a way to dominate the game. Beyond James, though, Eric Gordon, 17 points, 5 of 9 from 3. Since the calendar turned to March, 8 of 12 on Sunday in Boston, that's 67%, 3 of 5 from 3, on Tuesday in Toronto, that's 60%. And 5 of 9 from 3 tonight, that's 56%. Yeah, he's shooting over 60% from behind the arc this month. 
and against upper echelon competition with the Celtics, the Raptors, the Sixers. Now I know, it's a small sample. He's not going to shoot over 60% from three forever. What I think is important to note about this, however, is that it comes largely after a stretch in which he was allowed to get healthy. We know he struggled with the knee, especially in January. He had a week plus off over the All-Star game. They also gave him the Thursday game on the 28th, the second night of a back-to-back, when they played the Heat, uh, what was that, a little over a week ago off. And since then, boy, has he responded in a big way. And the Rockets, even against really good teams, on the road in two of the games with the Celtics and the Raptors, and then tonight against the Sixers, if you had told me going into the week the Rockets would be 2-1, and one, I would have been over the moon about that. And they just went 3-0, and none of them were really even that close in the last couple of minutes. So it's been a fabulous week for the Rockets, and... Not coincidentally, it comes at the same time as Eric Gordon has his breakout. So if you have a healthy James Harden, Chris Paul, and Clint Capella, and you have this version of Eric Gordon, there's a reason why last season and this year we continue to refer to him as the variable. The Rockets, when they get this Eric, that level of shooting around James and Chris, and of course what Clint gives you, the vertical spacing, the lob game near the rim, they're close to unbeatable. I won't say all-out unbeatable because there's some really good teams, starting with the Warriors. But if you have Eric Gordon shooting this lights out, and the best part, it coincides with his career norms. I've cited the chart from Karthik Prasad on Twitter, at StanfordKP, showing Eric Gordon's career numbers. March has been one of his best months. And if you want to believe that's related to health, which I think is, especially this season, since we've seen him struggle with a knee injury, perfectly valid, well... There's a reason why, after getting a week off at the All-Star break in most of these seasons, and then a little bit of time off as well, that you could see him physically bouncing back in this particular month. And then you look towards the playoffs. Well, hopefully the Rockets, if they continue to play this well, maybe, who knows, you can give him an occasional rest game or two down the stretch of the season. Maybe the Rockets can get some separation in the standings. The schedule also generally does ease up now that we're through this tough stretch other than Golden State. The next four games, Dallas, Charlotte, Phoenix. This is not exactly a murderer's row of opponents. And then even if you do have to go down to the wire in terms of battling for every game in the Western Conference standings, well, of course, you get a couple of days off. The Rockets' schedule actually ends on a Tuesday earlier than most teams. Playoffs won't begin until Saturday or Sunday. And then once you get to the playoffs... Well, you often, especially in the first round, because there's so many games for TV, you often have multiple days off in between games. So even if you aren't able, like you could a year ago, you're 65 and 17, to give Eric Gordon those rest games, well, the TV schedule may allow you to do that anyway. And it also helps, again, the Rockets, they finish up this season on Tuesday the 9th. Most teams do on Wednesday, April 10th. And then the playoffs either start Saturday or Sunday. So the point is, especially early in the playoffs, you're able to get arrested Eric Gordon, and then in terms of the Rockets-Warriors matchup, we saw what he did in the Western Conference Finals a year ago, if that comes either in Round 2 or in this year's Western Conference Finals, if that seemingly inevitable rematch does come to fruition. The point is, what's really encouraging about the March version of Eric Gordon throughout his career, and this year in particular, is that it does suggest there's a correlation between his performance and his level of rest. And if he's starting to get healthy, and if the key is more time off in between games, then in my opinion, that bodes really well for the playoffs when, of course, there's more time before that. And then in between games, especially in the early rounds when there's so many series going on. And, of course, with the Rockets as a team, we know what James Harden does. But then you couple what James Harden has done the last couple of games, the last week, and then what we saw Chris Paul do the first week out of the All-Star break. When you combine that 
with Eric Gordon shooting like this, surrounding a healthy Harden, Paul, and Capella, that's where the Rockets, even against the best teams in the NBA, start to feel unbeatable, which the current version, really 40-25, and 25, seven in a row, it's been quite a while since they've been beaten, and even longer, if you want to say, beaten by someone other than Scott Foster. Final thoughts as we close out Friday evening's podcast. We spent a lot of the first segment discussing the importance of the statement wins. Segment two, outlining James Harden, Eric Gordon, the individual standouts from a backcourt perspective. We also threw some honorable mention to the bench. Austin Rivers, Gerald Green, a combined 22 points. The game in Toronto, they won. And then tonight with 22 combined against the Sixers, they have rebounded really well from an off showing when the Rockets did that much of a bench showing on Sunday in Boston. At that time, Harden with 42, Gordon with 32, 74 between them. They didn't necessarily need it. Well, Austin and Gerald, if there's one thing you have to like about those guys, that's why I mentioned them honorable mention twice, they don't get discouraged. If there's one thing you want in a Mike D'Antoni system, and it's part of why Ryan Anderson didn't work out, if things aren't going your way, you want to trust that they're going to keep firing. They have. They've largely been rewarded. Also, Nene has given them some really big minutes. Played just 10 tonight with 4.6 boards. He was really active. Even at 36 years old, you are seeing that in certain matchups, and the Sixers, even without Embiid, they do have some bigger bodies out there. They didn't play Boban tonight, but it's a Philadelphia team that, Overall, they still had 59 rebounds to your 43. It's a pretty big and long squad, so it's one where the physicality of a larger Nene would seem to play pretty well, and he has responded. If he stays healthy, I don't know that he's going to be a playoff fixture, but yeah, you could absolutely dust him off in the right matchups. He's been better than I would have ever expected, given his age and, of course, the physical limitations that we saw last year when he seemed to start wearing down a bit. So the bench was pretty good tonight. The real story, again, Harden and Gordon. But I also don't want to forget about Clint Capella. 18 points, 9 boards, 8 of 12 shooting, plus 14 in 29 minutes. He said since coming off the shelf that he felt not 100%. And I don't think he means physically. After missing five and a half weeks with a thumb surgery, a big guy, I don't think that his thumb is bothering him. I think it's the mental rust. And I've alluded to the podcast that Gerald Morey did with Zach Lowe from the Sloan Conference in Boston last weekend. He compared it to the slow start that Clint Capella had to the season when for the first five or six games, a lot of us were wondering what's going on with Clint. Why isn't he, especially on the defensive end, as effective as he was a year ago? Now the Rockets made some adjustments. They're really just switching one through four now, letting Clint stay closer to the basket. Of course, that helps Clint, who's now playing his highest minutes per game total of his career at 34 game this year, averaging nearly 13 boards. Well, that plays his strengths with rebounding. And if he is a touch heavy, not quite as agile on the perimeter as he was a year ago, well, that's why the Rockets made the adjustment to only switch one through four and keep Capella back. But since coming off the shelf from five and a half weeks after the thumb surgery, he's been useful. But from an offensive perspective, his last three games, six points against the Heat, eight against Boston, nine against the Raptors. For a guy that on the season in his 34 minutes is scoring nearly 17 a game, three straight games in single digits is a bit unlike him. So I think to some degree, it's about the mental rust, or to a large degree, I should say. Because I don't think that he's worried about the thumb. You don't see him grimacing, holding it, anything like that. It's just Capella's role, because he's not going out there and creating his own offense. He needs to know exactly when to make his move, when to cut, when to go for the lob, those types of things. And it's what 
Gerald Morey said on his podcast with Zach Lowe, it's just they're noticing a trend that Morey alluded to, that Capella is a bit of a slow starter because so much of his game is instinctive and you don't play for five and a half weeks, especially with guys like James Harden and Chris Paul who try to anticipate. And really, it had been a really long time since Capella and Chris Paul had played together because Paul was out with a hamstring strain for nearly a month before Capella went out with a thumb injury. So I think there's some feeling out going on. With all that said, to bounce back from three straight single-digit games, to have 18 tonight, nine rebounds, he was also really active, played 29 minutes, had four steals in there as well, made nearly 70% of his shots, 8 of 12. It shows you that he is getting back. He knows that the Sixers, without Boban, without Embiid, there's not a lot of rim protection, and he went in there with an aggressive mindset looking to finish. And, of course, James Harden, Chris Paul, against a Sixers team that didn't really seem that crisp in their rotations, or perhaps they didn't have Embiid's length and physicality to cover up for that, well, they were able to reward Capella. Overall, though, for the Rockets, since the break in this current seven-game stretch, if there's one nitpick you could throw out there, it's that Clint's rebounding has been fine. 11, 15, 8, 17, 11, 9, 15. That's his first seven games out of the All-Star break since coming back from the five-and-a-half-week layoff. The rebounds have been fine. Shot blocking, it's been down a hair, but nothing dramatic. And Clint averaged only 1.7 blocks per game on the season, so it's not like he's truly an elite shot blocker anyway. It's more rim protection than it is. It's more influencing shots than actually blocking them with Clint. Where you really notice the drop-off for a guy that's been averaging nearly 17 points a game this year is on the offensive end. So to see him go out there and take advantage of a Philadelphia team, that's the one missing piece to Clint's game since then, and you like to see his level of confidence. Of course, he went up against a Sixers team, again, without Embiid, without Boban, that he knew that he was stronger, more athletic, more physical than, but considering the numbers that he has had since the All-Star break, to adjust for that, it's really nice to see that there's no discouragement from Clint, there's no slumped shoulders wondering, can I get it back? No, he went through a rough patch to start the year, relatively rough. And, of course, by December and early January, before he went out, he was incredibly dynamic on both ends of the floor. And hopefully now, tonight, 18-9, it's a start to Clint being more dynamic offensively as well. The competition will get better, especially Wednesday against the Warriors. That's always a big test for Clint, how he can stay on the floor. But if there's one nitpick you could throw out there with this current streak, and it's tough to really be too negative with how they have played winning seven in a row, it's, well, Clint Capella hasn't been quite the same since coming back. Tonight, 18-9 in 29 minutes, 67% from the field, four steals. Yeah, that was the old pre-injury Clint Capella. And even on a night where James Harden, Eric Gordon, they're obviously going to lead the headlines. Don't forget about the uber-efficient 18-9 from Clint in his 29 minutes. That's the old Clint Capella. That's the healthy Clint Capella. And for the Rockets, who actually beat the Warriors four times out of seven in May. That's probably the version of Clint Capella that you are going to need. So on that positive note, that's where we'll, we'll wrap up Friday evening's show. Again, for some perspective, as I'm recording this podcast, the Rockets are now tied in the standings with Oklahoma City for the three seed in the West, although technically at the moment they lose that tiebreaker, unlike the other night when it was a three-way, which the Rockets would win by virtue of being a division leader. It's a two-way now, which make it head-to-head. At the moment, the Thunder do lead the Rockets two games to one, but as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, there is one game still left that the Rockets could turn that. As far as beyond just the race for the West number 3 seed, the Nuggets and Warriors are playing as I record this. By the time you're listening, if the Warriors win that game, the Rockets will be within three games of the Denver Nuggets. The Rockets at 25 losses, now 40 and 25. 
Nuggets would be at 22, so they'd be very much in the picture within three and one more game looming in Houston later this month. And if the Nuggets win the game and the Warriors are the team that loses, well, the Warriors are the one seed. They'd be within four games at 21 losses to Houston's 25, with another game against the Rockets looming next week, also in Houston, and the tiebreaker for Houston relative to Golden State already having been secured. So really, either way that Denver-Golden State game ends, the Rockets are going to pull closer to one of those in the standings, and I don't see how you can argue that that's a bad thing. So a night in which it's positive for the Rockets in terms of what they did handling their own business, 107-91 over the Sixers, really, it's positive all the way around. What a great week for the Rockets, a great time to be a Rockets fan, seven in a row, which is a season-best streak. 40 and 25, a season best 15 over 500. And of course, I thank you so much for being along for the ride with me here at Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on all things Houston Rockets basketball. We'll be back in service Sunday night when the Rockets have a bit of matinee start, 6 p.m. local time in Dallas with a recap of that later Sunday evening. But if you want more content before then, best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben Dubose, simply my name. Show is on there at Locked on Rockets. And also don't forget our Locked on NBA net handle on Twitter and Instagram, the curated feed of our wonderful Locked on Podcast Network, which covers the entire association. Speaking of that network, because of its availability, we have widespread distribution. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Just search for Locked on Rockets. Subscribe, leave five-star reviews. That's how, even if you can't advertise yourself, which I always encourage you to do, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Email me. You've got some great introductory specials. Even if you can't advertise, don't hesitate to reach out to me by email, and you can ask me questions about the team, suggestions for the show, those types of things. But even if you can't advertise yourself, subscribe, leave five-star reviews, and by that, you'll get the benefit of episodes even before I can post them to my Twitter feed, and we'll get the benefit of, with your subscription and hopefully your five-star review, looking attractive to other potential advertisers and keep the business model rolling here at Locked Rockets as the only daily podcast covering this awesome Houston Rockets basketball team, at least at the moment. Also, if you listen in your car or while you're working out, if you've got a smart speaker or you use your phone, voice assistant providers, wherever it may be, just say play podcast Locked on Rockets and you can find our most recent episode that way as well. So with the plugs complete, this is where I will leave off on this Friday evening. Once again, the very happy final from Toyota Center, Rockets 107, Sixers 91, Houston avenges the bad loss in January to that same Philadelphia squad and improves to 40-25, and 25, a season-best 15 games over 500, and currently on a season-best seven-game winning streak. How sweet it is. Enjoy your weekend, and please come back soon at the end of it when the Rockets take on Dallas late Sunday night. Hopefully we'll be able to wrap it up in style, the weekend that is, and of course extend the winning streak to eight for the Rockets. Whatever happens, though, for better or for worse, we'll be right here at Locked on Rockets to break it all down as your home for daily podcast commentary on all things Houston Rockets basketball.